Words and Music is an intimate, groundbreaking Audible series that blends in-depth memoir with exclusive performances to reveal the storied lives and singular creative vision of music icons. Each thoughtfully crafted volume is as unique and varied as the artist delivering it. Words and Music brings together an extraordinary roster of once-in-a-generation artists, visionaries, trailblazers, and consummate storytellers, including Smokey Robinson, Alanis Morissette, Billy Joe Armstrong, Sting, St. Vincent, and Beck, among many others. Hear them and other groundbreaking artists share their stories and songs, unscripted and unfiltered. Listen to Words and Music, an Audible original series. Go to audible.com backslash words and music to start listening. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, host of Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, you're about to hear an episode of our sister podcast, Rolling Stone's Musicians on Musicians, featuring John Legend and Common. All right. Yes, yes. My brother. It's great to connect, brother. So been too long. I know, brother. Since the pandemic, I feel like we haven't seen each other. We weren't uh, around each other for a while, so it's like good to just be in tune. For more than 50 years, the writers at Rolling Stone have been sitting down with artists to go inside their sound, their creative process, and the quirks and perks of being a musician. But what happens when we take the writer away and ask two old friends and Oscar-winning collaborators to dive into what drives their music and their words? Specifically, what might we hear when an EGOT sits down with a rapper turned actor turned film producer to discuss the ins and outs of collaboration and how their shared activism has connected them forever? Hey, I'm John Legend. Peace, this is Common. On Rolling Stones, Musicians on Musicians. Let's go. In the past few years, John Legend has cemented his position as the king of inspirational R&B. His latest album, Legend, is a legitimate double LP that features A-list guests and mixes snappy pop funk with moving piano ballads. At a studio in New York this fall, he reconnected with another longtime friend and collaborator, Common. Legend has that EGOT, Common has a Grammy, Emmy, and Oscar of his own, and the pair won a Golden Globe and Oscar for Glory, the song they performed for the film Selma, and both have contributed their own entries to Audible's Words and Music series, blending memoir and performance to bring listeners closer to their unique journeys as artists. The conversation revealed the strength of their bond and a mutual appreciation of the way that art can serve as an important bridge between cultures. So, John, you always doing a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do a lot of things, but uh, you just recently released a new project. Yeah, I put a new album out and I started writing in 2021 at the beginning of the year. And I was just writing, man, collaborating, yeah. producing, just doing everything and just wrote a bunch of songs. And it was reflective of so much of what was going on in my life. So it was like, Part of it was about looking inside and thinking about how we deal with challenges in our life and how we use music to heal. And it's a really gratifying experience to put it out yeah. to the world because I spent so much time and put so much emotion and energy yeah. into making it. And then for it to finally be out, it's so satisfying. I'm just like, yeah. here it is, y'all. This is me. That's why I called it legend. I was like, yeah. this is me. This, yo, dude, I ain't gonna front. I mean, it feels like you had a a new place of openness and just yeah. creativity and just the more we get to know ourselves, the 
the better the work gets, to be honest. I think I needed to go through some things as an adult that like pushed me emotionally. Yeah. And then I think it made me a better writer and a better artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, that's dope. And so I, what have you been working on? Man, You've been I, in London a lot. Yeah, I was in London. I was in London filming a, a show called Wool, um, which I'm really excited about. That it, be out in, in next spring, but I also musically I was, I just started creating on a, on a project with Pete Rock, you know, because oh I, man, because man, look, John, I got, I did this like um, freestyle that that was on like you know one of the you know just L A leakers hip hip hop oh, freestyle, yeah. so that's, a, that's I got the, over the, the mecca for great freestyle. Yeah, yeah. So yes. it kind of hit me, man, that I wanted to do just some some you know hip hop, man, just yeah. like rhyming. Over just dope beats, so I got up with Pete Rock, and we creating right now. I just so you're gonna do the whole album with Pete? Yeah, I'm gonna do the dope. whole album with Pete Rock. Let somebody pop up with a couple more boom bap joints, but right now yeah. it's like Pete I like Rock. that idea. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going um to do a play on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, which is called Between Riverside and Crazy. I'm super excited. It's my first time doing theater, man, and I'm excited, nervous, inspired, so I'm looking forward you to it. You never even did it like in high school? Or... I did it in grammar school, okay. but, but my mother, when I did it, my mother, I was in a play with, with Derek, my best friend and the manager, we were both in the play <laughs> in grammar school, and my mother kept talking about how good Derek was. <laughs> <laughs> and she never, Who knew that he'd end up being the manager and you'd be the talent? <laughs> So she, it kind of detoured me. I was like, maybe I ain't good at this. So, but now that I get to, to really, you know, get back in there. I mean, I've done plays in class and done yeah. pieces of plays and did theater, like a snippet of something, but this is the first full play. Wow. Well, I have so much respect for people that do theater full time. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a different animal. It's a different thing. Yeah. Man. I was fortunate to be around a bunch of real theater, like veterans, yeah. when we were doing a Jesus Christ Superstar. And I was just listening and learning from everybody I was around. And what I love about theater is how collaborative it is. Yeah, that's and what I want. Yeah, I want that, like yeah. to be a part of a company. Yeah, like, exactly. Y'all rehearsed and been through these things together. And emotionally, it's more satisfying than just doing a solo like concert or whatever. Yeah. Even if you have a band, it's not the same. Yeah. Like when a theater company is very, it's just so collaborative and you feel like, you're all in it together, yeah. and uh, it's more gratifying when you do it right. Oh man, good, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So what was your approach when you were thinking about, when Audible comes to you and says, we want to do words and music, what was your approach to the creative behind it? Like, what did you want to try to accomplish? How did you want to tell your story? I wanted to tell a story that was unique because I felt like the words and music platform was something that was very unique to, it's specific, it's just, yeah. It allows an artist to be an artist in a way that um, I hadn't experienced because I love theater mm -hmm. and I love music. So I really was one to create something that had the aspect of theater, but from an audible perspective. So you um, made a play, basically an audible play? Yeah, so the play was, it was the first play I ever really created and it's called Bluebird Memories. And it was like really me telling my life um, through a conversation with my father who transitioned he passed in um, 2014, but, yeah. you know, I always felt that spirit. So Bluebird Memories was me bringing that up. So what about you, though? Because I got to ask, like... Yeah, mine was more of a straight autobiography, but it was also me explaining who I am as an artist yeah. through all my experiences. So yeah. I talked about growing up in the church. I talked about the things I've gone through with my family, the ups and downs with my with my mom and dad, 
ups and downs in my whole life and how it informed my music. I talked about all my influences and I just talked about the unique path that brought me to where I am today, all the collaborations, yeah. all the uh, things people probably don't even know or remember that I did back in the day when I was just trying to get on. Yeah. It made me reflect because I was just thinking about the journey that's brought me here. And this was the most raw and most honest that I've ever been. I love that, man. Yeah. That's what I, I felt like this Words and Music did for me, allowed me to be as raw as I wanted to be. And, yeah. and, it, and it felt like it was the space to do it. I hope this feel like some therapy for somebody at some point, you know? I feel like you're probably one of the healthier people I know. <laughs> what's your like? What's your lifestyle like? Like, uh, what rules do you have for yourself? Some of the practices for me, you know, before even physical, it start with the spiritual, like yeah. you know, and like my day got to begin with like just me being in gratitude, just yeah. me thanking God for the yes. day, you know, being thankful, being thankful, and I do that for myself, and then I take a little time to meditate. Do a short meditation. What about you? Is it? I meditate too. I, I do short meditations, and uh, a big focus of my health and my wellness journey is about taking care of my instrument, yes. which is my voice. And so I spend, you know, a decent amount of time warming up, loosening up my body, getting ready for singing. Do you do that on days where you may not be going to the studio? Or do you when I'm not too busy with other things, I'm going to the studio most days right. of the week. So, yeah. so I'm pretty consistent about warming up my voice and keeping it in good shape and yeah. uh, and doing the kind of physical things I need to do to maintain it. Have you noticed a big difference now from like like? Prior to that, were you consistent and warm? Like, no, right? I wasn't consistent. I didn't even have vocal training until I was well into my career. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to sustain this without doing this the right way. So I was just singing raw, like, you know, yeah. how I grew up singing in yeah. church. Like, nobody trained me how to do it. I just was like, well, this sounds good. It feels good. Yeah. But I never had that wear and tear that I started having once I went on the road. I was like, I can't sustain this without training. When you say sustain it, you felt... Did you feel at a moment it was like, wait, I really won't be able to get into a performance and be? Oh, yeah. Like, my voice would fail me. <laughs> yeah. Because I wasn't treating it right, and I, I started to learn how to treat it better. Yeah. You know, it's funny, because I I got had some voice issues, like, and then I went to a ear, nose, and throat specialist, mm -hmm. and she gave me some things to do and use these straws. Mm -hmm. And I started doing it in the studio, and I was like, wow, this is... Yeah. Like, I, I'm, Probably more than your average MC. I'm like taking care of my voice. <laughs> well, you're an actor too, yeah, yeah. so there's so much that, you know, your voice means so much to both your music and yeah. to the other side of your career as an yeah. actor. And uh, yeah, you gotta take care yeah, of it. Yeah, you gotta take care of that. Yeah. Right. Yes. A lot of people know us as a duo for what we did yeah. for the film Selma, which you also acted in. Yeah. Um, but we wrote this song that's meant a lot to our lives yes, and connected us forever. forever. <laughs> we connected forever, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I just so we wrote this daughter. song, Glory. Let's talk about like what, remember the, the day you called me up and like, let's go back in time and like, what was the impetus for you calling me up? Man, I tell this story and it kind of moving me now to even think about it. Cause yeah. you know, at, at the time, I, I don't think I always had the courage to call my friends and yeah. be like, okay, John, can you do this? But this Selma meant so much to me. I yeah. filmed the, the movie and went through like studying the people of the civil rights movement. I gained so much knowledge on people that I didn't know some of their names. Yeah. So I was like, and at the time, you know, they ain't say, yo, come and do a song, go get John Legend. 
But I remember having a conversation with Derek. We were on the phone and he was saying, man, yeah, they looking at different people to do this song. And it just hit me. And it was, a, I felt like I was listening to God. Just yeah. like, you know how you got to listen to your gut? Yeah. You know, they say, I, I said, I got to call John. I said, Derek, I'll call you back. I, I text you, John, yo, John, you say, yeah, I'm available, hit me. I remember you was in London or somewhere yeah. in, in, yeah, in I was, Europe. I was across the pond for sure. I think yeah. I was in London. You yeah. was a, I remember you said, I got, I'm out here for a while, but I got some three days maybe off. So I I, I said, cool, look. I, and I went through the whole spiel. You was like, listen, I know Ava. I'm going to get in and do something. I said, okay, cool. And I we got off the phone. I text you three titles. And you said Glory was the title that, that you liked. Yep, I remember. And then, and then, man, about two or three days later, you sent me, you singing glory and playing the piano. Yeah. You sent the chorus. And the reason it touched me even more is because it was I was going to my father's memorial when I kind of mm. had it. Yeah. And I was playing it. And I was like, this is incredible. When I heard what you sang <laughs> and what you played, I said, yeah. what is this? Like, I was like, man, this it just took me to that place where I just wanted to write. Yeah. I just I couldn't wait to write. I would, I had to pay honor to my father and yeah. it was his memorial. Then I just wanted to write. Yeah. And I went and started writing that song. And I wrote my verses, you had laid your chorus, and and created that music that was this timeless. And from there, we kind of was toying with, should we get drums in it? I remember I was some I was trying to put some strings, and you said, listen, I got the guy. So yeah, let, you we know. called Patrick up, yeah. he did the strings. Yeah. And we left it with no drums, because yeah. we, I just felt like, it was gonna be more emotional and more striking without it. And what was the path for it finally getting to Ava's ears? When did she first hear it? Okay, so Ava had no idea that I, that I had a song with me and you created mm -hmm. for the film. And once I laid my second verse, like, cause I had already had the first verse down and we had the song, I, I called her over the phone and said, listen to this. She was in the editing room. Yeah. And I put the phone to the speaker and she said, what, wait, what? She said, wait, come over here. Like, come. She, <laughs> so I took the song, I drove over, yeah. played her the song. She put it right in the movie at that moment. Amazing. And I remember I was sitting there with my daughter and, and a couple of people I worked with and she was like, yo, I'm, she was into that song. And it was, Man. And, it, and Ava don't play. Like, if she not feeling it, yeah. she was. And she oh, she was, knows what she wants and she's so smart. She has such vision. Yeah. And so I'm glad whatever we did musically fit her vision. <laughs> I'm so glad it fit the vision. Man. It was like one of the things that always stuck in my head was like that Martin Luther King speech where he said, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Yes. So when yes. you came with glory, I was like, yeah. oh, we. This well, that was all from you saying a few titles. And that was the one that stuck in my head. And I was like, that feels like the song. Yeah. And what was wild about that moment was we were, of course, celebrating Dr. King's work in 1965, but we at the same time were responding to what was happening concurrently as we were writing the song. And you talk about Ferguson yeah. and your verses. We, when we would go around and we'd be receiving awards for yeah. it, we would always talk about what was happening now. You would say Selma is now. Yeah. And um, talk about like what it was like seeing how the song interacted with the present as yeah. we were writing it and then as we were performing it and then as we saw people marching with it, you yeah. know, after we wrote after, it. After, man, it was, I felt like the ancestors were like with us teaching, like they were like guiding us and mm -hmm. like 
like Michael Brown had just been killed mm -hmm. and and that at that moment so many people were just aroused and like just you know trying to figure out what to do and I felt like that song was really speaking to people's hearts and souls in a way that was really inspiring and like hopeful and also dealt with the pain of it and acknowledging the wrongs that we've had in this country. Yeah. And it was deep to see like people singing it and, and us going through these things. Like, I was like, I want to pay homage to those who did it before us. Like we honored them, but also walked in our own space of what it meant yeah. to these times. And I remember us going up, you know, doing speech. If everything felt bigger than us at that moment. Yeah, to me. I felt like every time we gave a speech, it wasn't about the normal award speech yeah. because I felt like we had a responsibility to represent the message of the film and to represent what that spirit meant to us in the yeah. moment and how we needed that spirit with us and how we needed to continue the fight for justice in, in our lifetimes, in our moment, in our moment, as young people who were seeing what was going on in the world and responding to it carrying the spirit of our ancestors with us. Yeah. And that was a responsibility we felt every time we, we gave we a speech. We felt that responsibility. <laughs> you know, it felt, felt like we were speaking to four generations, to, to different walks of life. Who mm -hmm. It was like that whole scripture that to whom much is given, much is required. I felt that on us. And I also felt like, you know, because as an actor, I always wanted, I was like, man, I want to be on the Oscar stage. Yeah. I want to be doing, but I felt like this was the way I should be on an Oscar stage. Yeah. Like, it felt like this is the beginning of what it should be. And like, it was no other way to this day. Like, I mean, I feel like, man, that's we we were able to do something that was greater than us. And and like, people will remember what the, what the message is more than what we had on or what, yeah. you know. So I, I really, like, it definitely was one of the, the greatest moments in my life, not just only in my performing life, but it was like, okay, we actually operating in purpose yeah. right now. I think that's that's what I always tell people. Like that's truly one of the greatest moments of my life. And I think it is about everything coming together when it's like you have a purpose on this earth. Yeah. And we are like this is the moment when it all came together to say, yes. like, this is exactly why you're here. Like yeah. you were meant to write this song. Yeah. You were meant to use your music to change the world. You were meant to carry the spirit of your ancestors forward yeah. and to fight for us. Yes, like, for us, man. Yeah, to fight for us. And um, in that moment, we were able to do that on the biggest stage on the planet. And yeah. it's crazy. And something I want to bring up too that, that I got to thank you for, and I, it kind of seeped into my life later, on the Oscar stage, you brought up the incarceration, mm -hmm. and you had already been a, been a part of that. I wasn't, I at the time wasn't even like, you know, I kind of was like, okay, I know this is a problem, but yeah. I wasn't dealing with it. I was just learning about it like within that year or two yeah. uh, leading up to that, but I wanted to talk about that as, as the issue for freedom and justice yeah. in our time because so much was being focused on police brutality, which is important for us to think about. And whenever there's those moments where we see one of our brothers or sisters being shot by the police, it captivates a lot of attention. Yeah. But the ongoing crisis all the time is we're locking so many of our brothers and sisters up and yeah. it, it's taking such a toll on us. And me bringing it up on that stage, it was crazy yeah. because 
A lot of people are like, well, what is he talking about? Yeah. Like when I said we we're the most incarcerated country in the world, they were like fact checking me and like, is he right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm right. Yeah, exactly. And and I think it it put it on the radar screen for a lot of people in that moment because I said it in that moment. Man, you said it on the on the biggest, biggest stage. stage <laughs> you said you brought up something that like like people that's something that a lot of people who are doing social work, they skip over yeah. incarcerated because it's like they scared politically to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. They, you know, it's it's like, oh man, you know, they want to keep their position in politics or even in entertainment. Yeah. So for you to dig to, to where, the, you know, to me, a country has to look at itself by, when you look at the people who are incarcerated, you got to look at your country and say, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing Where wrong? do we fail? Where do we fail, man? You know, I, I trip sometimes because I'm like, black Americans, like, mm -hmm. we, because we were, we came here being enslaved, we we had to try to find what our culture is. And it's very, and we talk about diversity, it's very, like, complex. So to be able to celebrate blackness and how colorful it is and how round it is and how much depth and diversity has is like something that I think I would like to see black lives going in, in that direction too. Meaning like, I feel like when we talk about black lives, we gotta recognize black lives as our people. You know, like it's like black life should go where we want the planet to go, where we want like not only our country, but the world to go. And yeah. black life deserves emotional and spiritual and and physical and, and um, financial health. Um, mm -hmm. Also just like being respected culturally, meaning like we start, you know, celebrating who we are in these ways um, and, and understanding that that comes in different different forms. You know? Yeah, we can celebrate each other, the richness of our cultures that we all come from. We can celebrate how they intersect with each other, yeah. and how we interact with each other and how we learn from each other and borrow from each other. Yeah. Um, but it has to start with a mutual respect and a love. I like to talk about it as love because um, even though there's different kinds of love, I think we have romantic love, we have yeah. familial love, but then there's also just uh, the basic like valuing of each other's humanity that we all need. And I feel like that's what we're missing a lot of times. Yeah. And that's that helps us empathize with people. It helps us politically when we think about what well, what do I want to see in the world. If it starts with I love my neighbors, I love people across town, I love people on the other side of the country, the other side of the yeah. world. I love them. I empathize with them. I value their lives. And when I'm thinking and acting politically, I'm doing it with a sense of love and with a sense of empathy. And hopefully, we can all be like that. And I think that will be when we can value black lives, we can get closer to equality, closer to justice, closer to emotional, spiritual, physical, yeah. financial health that we all deserve. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's something you talk about that, that what you just brought up has always been something important to me that like, that I feel like just being in proximity, as Brian Stevenson says, yeah. being in proximity of things is like, being proximate allows you to understand and have more compassion. Funny, I had a, a incident in Ohio where you know I was in Yellow Springs. We were about to go and go canoeing, and the and the guy who had to drive us was a white gentleman. And then you know I kind of stereotyped him. He might have stereotyped me too. Yeah. And then eventually he was like, we started having a good conversation. I'm like, man, I'm just getting to know him. It, 
it ain't as much divide as I thought was there. Mm-hmm. And then he eventually was like, oh, you're this guy. So my daughter, he was his daughter was at a funeral at the moment, and the, the person who had passed it really loved my music. So he found that connection and was like, can you say hi to my daughter? And just yeah. it became something different than what I yeah. thought. And I and I felt like that was for me a good example of not letting my stereotype, because you know, we all have it, man, because yeah. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I grew up very close to where you were in Yellow Springs. <laughs> you know, so so that, that segregated life yeah. didn't allow me to know other cultures the way I should have. Thank God for music yeah. and for me being able to travel. But that being said, I'm just saying that it's the integration and being around other cultures that allow you to understand. And you know, when I think of Black Lives too, I'm starting to see it on an international level. I spoke about Black Americans, but yeah. you know, being able to go to different places, I'm like, I'm meeting people from from the Congo, from Nigeria, and wanting to know their experience too. And it's not yeah. the same experience. It's as not me. the same. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of times not as much of a connection between um, Black Americans and the rest of the African diaspora. Yeah. And I feel like. Sometimes there's like a distrust or just like a not knowing, uh, a disconnect in some way. But I would love for us to feel closer to each other and get to know each other better and understand each other better. Yeah. And I think art has a role in us feeling closer to each other. And I feel like even thinking about African music right now, like I feel like it's being more influential in black American music and uh, globally. Um, And I think if, like we use art as our like entry point. Yeah. It can be a great way to start a conversation where we're getting to know each other better. For sure. Like I think for me, like live performances allow me for the first time to meet Native Americans, mm-hmm. to meet like Puerto Ricans and, and, and Dominican brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. like to meet um, you know, people from Italy and like the Middle East. I it was like I used to go back home in Chicago and be like, man. Y'all don't understand it. all these people being the hip hop. I was in Japan, like, yeah. yo, dude, they love the music. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like you said, the art brings us together. It's like no color to art, man. It's yeah. no color. It's no. Yeah. And, and what, what, what we're able to do is take the things that make us who we are, the things that are core to us, and take our culture and then translate them to the rest of the world yeah. with music, with art, with writing, with whatever we do. And that's beautiful. Man, it's beautiful. We're so fortunate to be able to do that. Man, it's amazing. Honestly. And we get to speak for like people who don't sometimes have a voice, you know, like yeah. that some or don't have a way to be heard on a worldwide level. Yeah. Um and like so many people got acquainted to to black America through our art, through our music, yeah. man, and through you know, through the culture, through the James Baldwins and Nina Simones and yes. Stevie Wonders, like they they understood it. And then Hip hop came and it was just like and through the gospel and like yeah. people got to really get closer and and gain a respect and not just it allowed us to actually communicate with people from our hearts and souls and it's timeless man I was you know like being able to express myself through words and music and just music in general actually allowed me to know myself better to yeah. be honest it, it's like it, it some, allows you to be introspective yeah yeah because. You know, I realized growing up, it was some things that my mother was like, okay, you don't do these things. You don't, like, so I, I didn't have a certain confidence or even a, a way to express that confidence if I did have it because it was like, it might seem too boisterous or cocky or whatever mm-hmm. the word would seem. But I, I found, in writing, I was able to say things that I truly felt 
I rapped early on about dealing with abortion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I would have had that conversation with certain people and friends, but I had it through the art. Yeah. And it made me reflect in that one. I remember that song. Yeah, with Lauren. Yeah. You remember yeah. That? yeah. Mm -hmm. So going back. I never dreamed you leaving somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. So, like, how is like expressing yourself through art? Like, what have you discovered about other people, but also about yourself, you feel? I definitely had to be, I had to examine myself more. I had to think more about my past and how it led to the decisions and the artistic choices I've made, how it inspired me, how it affects my relationships, and then how all of that affects the way I write songs and how uh, it affects the way I express myself to the world. And I think I'm more vulnerable in my songs now than I've ever been um, because I, I'm more analytical and more introspective yeah. about my own emotions and about the past in my life that's informed those songs. And so all of that, I feel like, it's been helped by me doing that examination, that self-analysis, that introspection yeah. that I maybe didn't do like 10 years ago. Wow, yeah. that's super powerful. Yeah. You know, when I think about musicians, I feel like, man, it's really you're just talking about people who want to express love, people yeah. who want to um, connect, people who sometimes have been through very similar things. And even if you haven't grown up in the same country or continent, you're like, I relate to to this yeah. person. I've listened to some some artists that I don't even know the language, but I still feel something from yeah. them. You know, um, and it's like an equalizer. It's a it's a conversation opener. It's like yeah. a way of allowing you to listen to somebody that you may never have heard before. Yeah, and I feel like I love being a musician because it's so collaborative and it's so universal and it's so powerful. Yeah, and um, and so. I feel like I can get in a room with any musician and we can figure out something to do together. Yeah. We can write something together. We can create something together. And I feel like it's a superpower being able to do that with yeah, somebody. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, I ain't in front. I'd be like, man, God, thank you for for music, man. Like, thank you. There's like, something it, special about it and, it, and it and it it defies language barriers and cultural barriers. And it helps you see each other in such a beautiful way. And yeah, yeah, I feel man. so fortunate that I'm able to do it. Yeah, man, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm grateful that music found us. Yes, you know what I'm absolutely. Yeah, I can't imagine if I didn't have it. You'll find a version of this conversation in the November issue of Rolling Stone on newsstands right now. Musicians on Musicians is adapted from Rolling Stone's popular magazine franchise, produced by OBB Sound and sponsored by Audible. This episode featured Common with John Legend, executive produced by Michael D. Ratner and Scott Ratner of OBB Sound, a division of OBB Media, and by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, Christian Horde, Noah Schachtman, and Gus Wenner of Rolling Stone. Co-executive produced by Dylan Martyr of OBB Sound. Produced by Miranda Sherman and Toby Lawless of OBB Sound. Associate produced by Eve Bishop of OBB Sound. Voiceover by Eve Bishop of OBB Sound. Engineering by Frederick Burness, Daniel Chavez Brook, Phineas O'Connell, Josh Falcon, Farrell Lopez, Dylan Neustadter, Miguel Romero, and David Lyon Thompson. Edited, mixed, and mastered by Daniel Chavez Crook of OBB Sound. Original music by James Asciutto for OBB Sound. 
Artwork by Joni Dobrov of OBB Media. Social media managed by Marissa Delgado of OBB Media.